This morning, the Lord will speak to you and I through Matthew chapter 5, verse 24. I will mention a little bit of context. Um, I'm going to make a note to make sure to do that. I recognize I, I want to make sure I don't forget to do that because it's important. But I, I'm not going to really look at a lot of context because we're, we're fairly familiar with this. And as we went through the Gospel of Matthew, I pre, would have preached on this in its greater context. Uh, and you can hear that on sermon audio. Uh, I'll give you enough to work with, but there's a particular thing in what Christ commands that I simply want to focus on today with a special motivation to obey. We need to motivate, we need to be motivated simply by the fact that Christ tells us to do this, and the Great Commission says, teach everybody to do everything he commands. But I hope that uh, thinking about what he's telling us to do, uh, and thinking about what a, what a blessing comes from it, uh, hopefully um, that will be helpful. So it is a topical sermon, and we're focusing on one part of this verse primarily. Uh, re let me read for you now, Matthew 5, verse 24, hear now the word of the Lord from the Lord Jesus. Leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Now here's the phrase that we're going to focus on this morning. Be reconciled to thy brother. Be reconciled to thy brother. We are going to consider the context with how much emphasis is being said about this, but uh, what is being emphasized is be reconciled unto thy brother. That's what we focus on this morning. And as we do, we want to think about ambassadors, people who would go and represent our president, our government to another nation before its president or government, especially in the past, we think more of kingdoms and ambassadors of a king going to another kingdom and approaching the king there. And how do they often come? Do they usually come empty handed? No, they usually come bearing gifts. Bearing gifts from the king, representing, uh, and usually they are sent away also not empty-handed. They are usually sent away with gifts to bring back to that other king and that other nation. The idea is there is a making and an ex of an exchange of good faith, a making of an exchange of signs of that good faith and good fellowship there. And it's, it's really a beautiful thing when you think about these tokens of the fact of expressing we are in peace together. We have reconciliation and we come bearing gifts to do that. We make an exchange expressing that. Isn't, isn't really the establishing of that situation and relationship, but it is the expressing and maintaining of it. Similar to Jacob. You know, Jacob was dishonest and stole from Esau. He didn't have to do that. These things were promised by God. He's got to learn to trust God's promises. Tried to make it happen by his own hands. The Lord lets him go for 20 years to learn about being a supplanter, which is the meaning of his name, Jacob. Sends him back as Israel, right? The prince of God. And he comes back, but he's realizing Esau's there. He learns. And with his armies... And remember when he left, he wanted to kill him. Esau wanted to kill Jacob. And so he's concerned and afraid. So Jacob, what does he do? He sends gifts. He sends people ahead and he sends gifts. Esau is okay and even says, I don't need these. I have many things. But he sends gifts as well as an expression, an exchange of, and then they do exchange good words and assurance and love of one another. We're okay. We're in a good place. 
And I, I highlight that because the, the context here is that of bringing a gift before God. It's actually spoken of twice. That's the context. You're coming to bring a gift before and after. And again, you're not making yourself right with God. You're expressing that God has made you right with him through this sacrificial system. But as you know, as we're reading Leviticus, they would offer up their gifts. And we're still called upon in the New Testament to offer up our sacrifices, our gifts of praise and thanksgiving in particular. And Jesus is saying as important as it is to bring gifts to God, which is the opening closing of the verse and the greater context. When you are coming to give those gifts before God in worship. Because of the reconciliation you have in Christ, yet that needs to be postponed, even interrupted, to prioritize going to exchange the gifts of mercy with brethren to have peace. Reconciling with a Christian brother must come before relating with God with whom a Christian is already reconciled. I give that to you as the main idea of our verse, especially focusing on how Christ tells us to be reconciled with our brethren in the context of drop worship. Go take care of that first. It will affect your worship. It would likely to make it more of a clanging symbol before God and less benefit to you. Think of 1 Corinthians 13 and how Paul describes love. I give that to you again as the main idea. Reconciling with a Christian. Now, certainly there's a broader aspect to this with the world, but reconciling with a Christian brother must come before relating with God, with whom a Christian is already reconciled. Now, what we're mostly looking at is that expression and exchanging of gifts and worship and devotions with the Lord. It's not as if we try to go reconcile with someone if we have not been reconciled with God through Christ. But in that context, reconciling with our our brothers are in Christ is so important that Christ says, if you have to interrupt your offering of gifts exchanges to the Lord. Now, why do I emphasize that? Because the Greek uh, for the word reconcile could be, if you look at the lexicon, could be exchange. That surprised me. Exchange. Go make an exchange with your brethren. Just as God made an exchange, Jesus took on your sins and your punishment, and he gave you his righteousness and his life. And so he says, buy of me with money you don't have, right? Those are the witnesses and the prophets in a revelation. But there's an exchange. And again, this idea of reconciliation means exchanging gifts in a sense, making an exchange of gifts. It should be the outward expression of what you're doing, the reason you'd be coming to worship God and offering up your gifts. Jesus says that reconciling with a Christian brother must come before relating with God with whom a Christian is already reconciled. Christian peace is a practical priority in the Christian life. And uh, as I'm speaking of this, thinking of so many schisms and so many divisions and so many stay-home Christians, we are missing it. And we're de-emphasizing what Christ is emphasizing and prioritizing before us. He didn't save Lone Ranger Christians. He saved his body and all its members to be as one. 
here is the foundation of such prioritization in the Christian life that you have life in Christ established through Christ who was given to you by the Father to be sacrificed out of love. So we do want to recognize the context of going to make reconciliation, exchanging gifts of mercy, forgiveness, and love with your brethren is in the context of Christ bringing you into that exchange, taking your sins, giving you his mercy and love from God. That's the context. Again, uh, the command always comes out of the, the statement of who you are, the indicative who you are, what Christ has done for you is, this, is the foundation of the imperative, the command that you are to go and do. So we want to remember that. You don't, as you saw, and let me read this, I think it's worth repeating. This isn't about you making yourself right and fixing your clean yourself up or your brethren. Uh, the quote in our, our bulletin today from William Secker, to lay the salve of our services upon the wound of our sins is as if a man who is stung by a wasp would wipe his face with a nettle, or as if a person should busy himself in supporting a tottering shack with a burning firebrand. We don't want to say that we do anything. Christ does it. It's in the context of what Christ has done. But he does call us in that context to reconcile because we have been reconciled and so have our brethren. So i give you two verses that establish the context of this so we don't mistake and think we bring reconciliation to happen but rather we're we're working it out Romans 5 verse 10 for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life. So you, you see what is being said there, a done thing. We have been reconciled with God. Christ, who is Emmanuel, because his name is Jesus, has brought we who are at enmity with God because of our sins into a reconciled relationship with God through his blood, through his offering, through his righteousness. And the gift of faith to us to believe in him. So again, that's the... That's that's the context, the redemption we have in Christ, the reconciliation we have with God, which is why he says, get out of here worshiping God right now if you're not reconciled with your brother. Not to try to redeem and reconcile yourself, but look, the context is, therefore, there's no reason or excuse to be unreconciled with your brother. How can you come here and be worshiping me while you're having all kinds of anger and frustrations and bitterness and division with a brother that you should be reconciling with? Now, in this case, the context is even important, especially if you're the cause of it because of your sins. I'll come back to that in a moment. Ephesians 2.16, another verse just to establish the foundation so we understand where the command is coming out of and the safety to go do it. At first we might say, well, I can't go. I can't worry about it. I got to go worship God. Okay. And I don't mean to be overly simplistic. There are situations and times and issues where you've done what you can. Uh, but, I mean, if we were going to obey this to every jot and tittle, in a, in a sense, we'd never be here for worship, right? We'd always have somebody we need to try to go make it up to and, and reconcile. But generally speaking, Ephesians 2.16, the other foundation, that he might reconcile us, Jesus might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Now there it's talking about bringing Jews and Gentiles together into one body, reconciling us together, but it's because he's reconciled us both unto God. So it's the same issue when we give marital counseling. The best way to be growing together is each of you not trying to make it happen this way, but to make it happen this way. Jesus 
You're both going closer to Jesus, and that's how you're getting closer together. The reconciliation we have with God and Jesus is what brings us also into reconciliation with Christ. After all, he's the head, we're the body, all members of it. He's the husband, we're the bride. There is one bride. That he might reconcile us. So Jesus, in that context, commands us, and again, remember, this is Christ's command in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus commands us to go out of our way to be reconciled with a brother with whom we are estranged. It's so important to do so that he says we must interrupt our worship with him so that we can go and make good with our brethren. It's really striking when you think about it, isn't it? Stop worshiping me. Make your worship more sincere and beautiful by go work it out with someone that you need to work it out with. Now, I want to remind you of the context. We're not talking about Matthew 18. As much as it could be in danger of thinking that. Reconciliation is always a two-way street. There's two parties. There's the offended and there's the offender. Matthew 18 is about someone who has offended you. You are obliged to go confront them. And if they don't respond well, then you are to bring some other brethren with you to try to appeal to them. And if they don't respond to that, then you bring it to the leadership of the church and they go deal with it. And if it still isn't responded to, there are, uh, you know, formal disciplinary things that the, that the authority of the church only has to deal with that with spiritual things. But here it's not the context of you being the offended party. Here, and I would argue probably there's a lot more of this we need to pay attention to than the other we love to always think we're the offended party, right? Here, you're actually the one offending. Look what he says. Be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. But it's verse 23 that informs us. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against us, against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. And I would argue that I think it's much more applicatory that that's the context for us. Somehow we convince ourselves they've offended us, and that's why we might have done something wrong. But the context is, if you, if it comes to your mind that you've offended someone, that you've sinned against someone, and you're causing it hard for them to worship, you go and ask for mercy. You go with repentance and ask for forgiveness. That you can go, both come back together hand in hand, worshiping the Lord. So let's recognize that's actually the context. Not so much that you're needing to be reconciled because of what has been done to you, but much more, usually, I think we can all recognize, honestly, what we've done to someone else. Even if it is our over-response to what they might have done to us. Go and be reconciled, Jesus says. Do not let that fester. Do not leave it alone. As he says elsewhere, a house divided will not stand. And if you allow that little ember to be there, it can set ablaze the whole house of the church of God. It can poison the whole family and all its members. Maybe a way to apply this for you... Go visit a person you need peace with before you come to church on the Lord's Day. And so think about this throughout your week. And if you find yourself thinking about it, if you are aware of this, try not to get to this point where you're in worship and you realize I haven't dealt with things I really should. I need to go ask for mercy. I need to go extend mercy. Why don't you try to call them Thursday or Friday? See if you can't get together before Saturday. At least have a phone call. At least make an expression in a message if they won't take your phone call saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And if it's the other side or usually both our sides, I forgive you in Christ. Let's reconcile.
let's improve our relationship together. Or, frankly, if you have a serious conflict going on in your life with a brother or sister in Christ, and you are convicted about it during worship, I think I can speak on behalf of Session that we understand if you need to get up and leave. And come back later, and you can explain, and we'll understand. Perhaps if there is ever a, a division between any of us here, we'll understand if you need to step up quietly, tap the shoulder of another, and the other's willing to go and get into another room and go work it out and come back to worship. Feel free, just go to the balcony. <laughs> you don't have to go, but we'll understand. I mean, we need to have that kind of safe context where we're really going to do stuff like that if the Lord's going to do something special, right? We don't just come and go and have all kinds of rifts and problems that we never work out together. And frankly, how much of the witness of the church is that? You can feel it when that's the life of the church in, in many parts of the body. You can feel it. Everybody can feel it. Even if you don't know what the issue is, you know something's going on. You can see it in how people keep their distance from one another, or if they're nearby, how they keep their distance from one another nonetheless in different ways. And if you have that going on, I encourage you to feel free to quietly try not to be disruptive. But I think we can say from the scripture, get up and go ask the person to step outside with you and express mutual mercy and forgiveness and be reconciled and then come back and take the Lord's Supper. Now, of course, this takes death to self. This takes sacrifice, this takes humility, which is why Paul emphasizes in Philippians 2 that we would have humility, the mind of Christ, that we would have unity, which is such a blessing. We'll consider again in a moment some of the scriptures about what a blessing it is to go out of our way to do that and be reconciled. If you find yourself distracted in prayer because of a disruption in fellowship, get up, stop praying. Don't spend too much time asking God to fix it when you aren't trying to fix it. That's the idea here. Lord, I need to stop. You're putting it on my heart by the Spirit. And turn, put your phone on and call that person. Can I come visit? Can we at least talk? If they won't, then send follow-up messages to the best of your ability before you go back and start praying again. Frankly, you'll be less distracted and your prayer will be, be better. Because if the body part is hurting or you're hurting because of the other body part, that's going to affect your ability to think with the head. With the spirit and mind of Christ. When you make these efforts, offer sorrow, offer forgiveness, and receive the same. And you're never going to be able to make it right. You do this in the context of the blood of Christ that has made it and us right. When you are estranged, make an exchange. Then go back to prayer with peace and focus or go back to worship with a settled conscience, able to better serve and be blessed by it. You know, it occurs to me, I know I've quoted before, Derek Thomas speaks about a certain man in his congregation years ago who came up to him and said, man, I, I don't know what you're doing differently. But boy, the, the, the songs you're choosing to sing now, the sermons, the scriptures, everything, it's just so much better. I'm just getting so much more out of it. And his answer was, we haven't changed anything. You've changed. Perhaps 
A lot of time for most of us, when we start to get a lot more out of the service, is when we've made such an exchange of reconciliation. So we're not focused on other things, but we're truly focusing on Christ and our loving, recon reconciled, redeemed relationship with one another in Christ. And then we get more out of the service because our conscience isn't keeping us from being able to. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus. So that's the first part. That's the indicative. God hath reconciled us to God through Jesus. But there's more to that verse. And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. You could argue what's a real quick way of talking about Christianity. It's the ministry of reconciliation, being reconciled to God through Christ and reconciling with one another until we get to go to heaven. And then there's no need to worry about it anymore. We're just no more sin. But until then, there's a reason so many things discussed in the letters to the churches. It's about working things out because of sin in this world until we are saved, raised into the next one. Let me read the whole verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20. And all these things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, Go back and see how Paul in chapter 4 of Romans sings about this with Psalm 32. How blessed it is not to have your sins imputed to you. So be a blessing to one another as well. Not to have your sins imputed to you. He goes on to say, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. We're back in 2 Corinthians 5 now. He has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Now, again, think about that. If we're imploring others to be reconciled to God, but they observe us being unreconciled with one another. How serious do you think they will take that gospel message? If we're talking about the love of God and the body of Christ, but we have nothing to do with the body of Christ and we don't give ourselves formally to it, what kind of witness is that to the world? Let these scriptures guide you. Ephesians 5.21 Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Yea, all of you, be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace unto the humble. Maybe a distinction could be made in which direction you run. In pride... You run away from one another. You seek not to be reconciled, to have mutual understanding and peace. In humility, you run toward one another. 
seeking to have understanding, going out of your way to clarify and make peace and have peace. Romans 12, verse 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. As Paul says in Philippians, counting others' interests more than your own. And this isn't necessarily dealing with sin, offending or being offended, and in particular, being the offender in our context. This is even just more broadly. Romans 12, verse 18. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Now, there's an aspect of how this can bless you with conflict resolution in the family and work, even with those who are not believers. There's an overlapping benefit of this kind of attitude and this kind of practice. In the blood of Christ with brethren in Christ, it's got to be the norm and the default and the priority, even to take us out of worship or prayer sometimes, even to take us out of our Bible studies. We like to get all cozy and private and read, and we just somehow ignore all the scriptures that tell us to go be reconciled and be part of the body of Christ. Live peaceably with others. Now, if it be possible, Paul does say, and I think that applies not only to the broader world, but even Christians, sometimes there's only so much you can do, but you do the best you can. I recall a message from Dr. Joel Beakey many years ago talking about particularly addressing pastors, how to deal with all the different problems in life, sometimes when you may be part of them. And he says, you go and extend your hand to the brethren, regardless if they take it or not. And sometimes they won't. But you do everything you can to bridge that gap. And then you leave it in the Lord's hands. Now, certainly there are times when you even need to protect yourself. And there are times where I have had to do this because a person won't be reconciled and won't be reasonable to the point of a great detriment or danger, including to the broader body of Christ. There's a, there's a place where you see the scriptures and the letters. They say, let them go. Don't have anything to do with them. So, you know, there's a disclaimer usually to be made with any of these things. But generally speaking, we want to have the heart of Psalm 122. I rejoice to go to the house of the Lord. And when they said, let's go, I pray for my brethren. I pray for their happiness. I pray for their prosperity. I pray for their peace. That is unity. And so, of course, as you sang this morning, Psalm 133, how blessed is it when the brethren of God dwell together in unity? And then it describes what a blessing it is. And then at the end, in verse 3, it says, there God commands his blessing. There in the church, in the reconciled, growing in humility and reconciled people of God. And there is where life is forevermore. Think about that, beloved. How, how glorious to encourage you for this. In heaven, this will just be. For we'll be completely sanctified and we'll still be growing, but we won't be sinning. Think about what a blessing it will be. There will be no need for anybody to get up around the throne of God and of the Lamb. Can we step outside next to the uh, river of life and let's reconcile our problems? It won't be necessary. Think about the glory of that. There'll be no distraction of my sins to others or their sins to me, which frankly I think is a lot of what distracts us from worship, which is why I think the Lord commands this. 
It'll be, we'll just be enjoying that perfect fellowship together, that blessing of it. But notice, we'll be enjoying that forever. There's the blessing. That's something to look forward in heaven. Ultimately, there is God's blessing, life forevermore, in the reconciled, perfect fellowship of the brethren within our brother Jesus Christ in heaven. So, beloved, if I can say this to you, get used to it now and keep working on it. Do you really want to see your brother who you've remained estranged from all your life and have to look at each other in heaven? I know there'll be no shame. I'll know there'll be no punishment, fear to worry about. But once you think, boy, all this time, why do we wait till now? You're going to be, if you're both really Christians, you're going to be there and you'll be in reconciliation. Your stupid sins that keep it from happening will be taken care of. You'll be cleansed of them. But don't you want to work on it now? Don't you want to build on that relationship now? As much as is possible. It may not always be possible, but make sure you have done all you can to maximize the possibility of peace. And let me encourage you to do so based on the refreshing fruits of reconciliation. Now that's the point, isn't it? That you come back reconciled. No more divisions, no more pain and suffering and distraction. You come back able to really focus on the Lord arm in arm, hand in hand. Exchanging, if I can throw it in there, exchanging perhaps a holy kiss or two along the way. And then you're there kissing Christ, Psalm 2, that he's not angry with you. That you're blessed together in his way. Think about the blessing of restored relationships and fellowship with one another. I know I've shared with you before, there are these YouTube shorts of people, I think they are Christians, going around often talking to the homeless. And they'll ask them, what is the thing you regret the most? And if you do, we'll give you this amount of money. And they sincerely do it. They seem touched to be asked. They immediately share. And it's always some broken relationship. And they begin to cry. And it's a significant thing that has led them to be homeless. Certainly there are other things that relate to dealing with that problem, but it's always a fractured relationship in the end. And when they're restored, and one time you see this man, they'd helped him got work, but they come back, they found his family, he didn't think he could find them, got him on their smartphone, they talk together, he's crying, he's so thankful, they said, come home. We're ready to take you home, come home. Don't you get goosebumps just thinking and hearing about that? It's such a good thing. It's everything. After all, that's everything of what it is. Christianity to be brought home into family with God. But that family has a family. And in the meantime in this world, until we are perfected, we are called to keep reconciling as needed and working it out. That being said, again, let me motivate you with the fruit of reconciliation, because we know this is true, and still how much, because of our pride and fear, we avoid obeying Jesus. This week was a challenging one for me, as you know. I had very little sleep. The few pockets I had to try to look for full-time tent-making ministry didn't end up happening, so I had to stay up overnight a lot of the time. And, and uh, we had an emergency issue one night where I was all tuckered down, ready to get to work with one of our children. You can know who it is. <laughs> so <laughs> often that one. <laughs> Thankfully, he's OK. Uh, but we we're there for many hours. I even had to say, I need you to go home because I met them there. I have to sleep. I slept in the parking lot for a little bit because I started to feel the effects of it. 
I've had lots of interruptions that have made me very tired. I'm overly busy and distracted. This is not complaining. This is setting the stage because here's the other thing happening this week. I have both of my vans getting worked on and both of them ended up not being cheap. Seems like an annual ritual about this time of year with these vans. <laughs> I paid one, the first one, and then I exchanged the other one. And uh, thankfully, the renters let me borrow their cars, so I'm at church trying to get a little work done in between dropping kids off, picking them up for classes. And, and Fernanda thankfully picks it up for me on her way back from baby doctor's visit. And she's driving home, and she says, Grant, uh, the van sounds exactly the same. They didn't fix the noise, which is why I brought it in. Also, I thought we had to do brakes, and I forgot we already did them with them. <laughs> and they forgot, too. They didn't do the brakes, by the way. They recognized that to their credit. But So they didn't fix the noise. You know how much money I just paid? And it's not fixed? And then I started to doubt whether what they did fix should have been fixed. And uh, I'm driving the kids back to one thing, and I'm, I'm just getting livid. And it's a perfect storm because I am tired. And as we know, one of the things required in Thou Shalt Not Kill from our catechism is proper sleep. Because <laughs> you are more in danger of killing someone, if not with a knife, with your looks and your tone of voice. On him. So I'm, I'm really feeling, I'm like, I'm so tired and I'm, I'm feeling this and I'm afraid I'm going to lose my witness. And they know I'm a pastor. It shouldn't matter, but I particularly am concerned. So I call up uh, one of my elders and ask for advice about a handle. I said, one of the reasons I'm calling is I just need to talk it out. I want to make sure that I don't inappropriately act. I need to ask some tough questions. But I'm so tired and I'm feeling so frustrated. I don't want to lose my witness. And so we talked through it and prayed. And I was careful not to go that day, which is normally my way. I go out of my way to go deal with it. You know, let's sleep on it. You know. And, uh, of course, the other van was still getting fixed. But then I said, oh, it's fixed. Okay, I'm still going to come get it tomorrow. And I'm not going to let it interrupt things I have to do today. And uh, so yesterday, uh, Fernanda and I went to uh, bring the, the one car back, the van back, as we picked up the other one. And before we paid for the other one, I wanted to have this talk. You know what I'm saying? And um, he got in the car and revved the other. He says, yeah, I see that noise is there. Um, but we fixed the other one the more important one that needed to be fixed. I said, well, I don't know what noise you're talking about. This is the only noise I heard, and that's the only reason I brought it in. And you didn't fix it. So you can understand my concern. He explained some things, and we were able to fix it, figure it out a bit over time. He assured me that this was what needed to be fixed. I had even brought some paperwork when I had fixed three years ago. It's supposed to be okay by now. I spoke with him on the phone the day before. I said, I need you to know when I'm coming in, I'm very concerned about this. My wife and my son, they say it's exactly the same. They brought it to me. I tested it. It's exactly the same. I'm very concerned. Did I just spend this amount of money for nothing? I'm thinking about I'm never coming back to this place. I'm going to the Better Business Bureau. I'm going to demand they give me half back. I know they're not going to rip out the parts, but I want my labor paid back. Or don't charge me for the other van I'm about to pick. I'm planning to leverage that maybe, you know. I spoke with him on the phone. I could tell he was very concerned. He was very humble about it. Again, it's a perfect storm for eruption. And I called one of the elders again to get counsel. Avoided creating disruption unnecessarily. I still brought my paperwork and some research online. To demonstrate, I wasn't sure it should have been fixed, and I'm concerned the exact same noise has not been fixed. Was I taken? I'm implying. 
At the end of the day yesterday, we went, but careful that we were there uh, to have an exchange of words, but hopefully not the wrong exchange. <laughs> that wouldn't be reconciliation. We went there, brought the other man back. He started listening. But while we were going, I said to Fernanda, I want to pray. I really, I'm so tired. I'm so frustrated. Maybe there's something that I need to be open to. I, I want it. So we prayed. I don't want to be a bad witness. And my main contact that we're going to meet with, he was looking very concerned when I got there. He wasn't looking proud. He sounded very sad on the phone. And again, he tested the van, agreed the sound was there, but they had taken care of the main sound that they heard once the trunk was open and they took all the other belts off. And we had to do the timing belt. And some of you know, that's no fun to hear that. Uh, it turns out it's, uh, the noise isn't something we need to fix right now. It's the accelerator. I'm like, well, you're here in the cabin where I'm driving. That's the only thing I hear. I guess if you're under the hood and you take all the belts off so that's not moving and you only hear the timing belt and you're seeing there are problems with it, I guess I can understand that. But I don't understand how you give me the van back. And that sounds not fixed. That's exactly what's on your paperwork about why I brought it in. I'm more careful than this and how I'm talking about it. I prayed a lot. <laughs> That's what I want to say or how I want to say it. I'm more careful. And he understands. He's humble. But as he explains the situation, we start to recognize and learn that when they take the other belts off to isolate something, the, the accelerator, I think that's what it was, you wouldn't hear it. And there's something that happened when I drove away that I realized, oh, yeah, that's what it is. So they didn't take me. It wasn't so something I was expecting. It's one of those things we both had to think through to recognize why weren't we on the same page on this. And I even said to him, look, he said, you, I'm, I'm honest. You know I'm honest with you. I said, look, brother, you don't have to tell me that. I know you're a Christian. We have a relationship. You're the reason I'm here. It's not why I came, but it's why I stayed. And I trust you. I'm just trying to express my concerns because if I'm, my concern is I'll never be back, and I won't have talked about it. He says, yes, I'm very glad you're talking with me about it. And we, we both were able to recognize why there was confusion. The other issue was, usually he talks to me, but he was off the day it was ready to pick up. And I wasn't there either, and I'm usually the one to pick it up. So we had to get together. We had to explore what we both didn't know and come to a place where we understood what the situation was. Now, I wasn't real happy that I had to pay this money, but I had peace about it because I knew it was necessary. And I had peace, understanding this doesn't need to be fixed. And I said, you know, again, while we were working it out, I offered, look, I brought it in thought, thinking I need back brakes. I was hearing noise for a while, and I, I thought you put that in the paperwork last time. But you called me before this came up, and you said, we don't need to do your brakes. We already did them. I was oh, great. I didn't forget that. So obviously, they could have put new brakes on. I wouldn't know. And so I offered that, you know, as a peace offering. I'm trying to work with you here. Uh, we're expressing concern for one another. Neither of us were wanting to take advantage of the other, and we were careful about what we said and how we said it to try to find a place to reconcile. We had to figure it out to have real peace and not pretend a peace when there is no peace, as the scriptures speak elsewhere. And as we talked and we determined what happened, the other work did need to be done. And the problem was it's because when I had it done last time, that place, they did it wrong. 
and it caused problems, including something was broken, a bolt flying in the air, and they did have to fix that. And that's probably why the belt didn't last, because the last people didn't do it right. And so we were able to understand these things. And we were able to understand why we're talking about different noises and able to confirm I'm safe, I don't have to deal with this right now. They could have said, yeah, you gotta come back and fix that. So we talked, we determined these things. The good explanations were heard. Normally we would both have done this earlier, but we had to do it now because we realized something, is, uh, something isn't right. But here's what stood out to me. I mentioned to him, I've been, I've been praying about this. I've been praying about this. I don't, wanna, I don't wanna be unwise and unable to hear these things. And he said to me, I've been praying about this all morning. He's a Christian. And that's something we always touch on as we visit. He even told me the day that I had off, I came in to make sure this was done right. I was concerned for you. I've spent a lot of money on this thing with him years before too, but he knows, I think he has a heart for the family. He even came in on his day off, which I didn't know, to make sure. So he couldn't believe it. He was shocked. I don't know what's wrong. He told them I'd be coming. What's the concern? They said, I don't understand, you know, but as we talked, we, I was concerned. He was concerned, but we tried to measure our words and behavior. We figured it out and we both volunteered. We've both been praying about this because neither of us wanted to ruin our Christian witness to one another and to those working with him around us. Here's why I'm sharing this story. I went in, I had peace and I paid. That's not why, but what comes of it. So I'm in there now. We were outside doing all this. Fernanda's sitting on the bench. You know, they're all hearing us with the garage doors open doing the work. We come in, and some of the others that are I'm regularly around in the administrative area, he, well, he first, he shakes my hand a couple times. He smiles. He's just so happy. But the other staff, uh, they look so happy, too, <laughs> and relieved, including one of the people that I always find offensive and rude. It's the first time I've seen them ever smile at me, and it just looked sincere and relieved. And we started talking about how many babies the Van Locos have with another on the way, and just rejoiced to talk about that. But what really stood out to me that was everyone seemed so nice and smiling and everybody clearly felt so good, like a real deep, oh, praise the Lord. I don't know if they were all saying praise the Lord. He was and I was. I, I can tell you that. And though we were still all stressed, we felt sincerely relieved and for one another, not just for a lack of conflict, not just for a lack of consequences to pay, but an exchange of mutual respect and understanding to maintain a long-standing relationship. And especially as he and I was concerned to maintain our witness before them. And that's what I was so concerned for, that he and I as brothers ought to be able to work this out as a witness to everyone else. Or what kind of witness are we giving? He's a Christian. He knows I'm a Christian. We talk about it often. Again, we volunteered. We prayed about this together. And everybody's hearing us say these things. And though this is a witness to these other people, excuse me, I, I thought this has got to be, as I'm driving away, a witness to these other people that I don't think are Christians. But we're clearly deeply affected by it. Two Christians seeking to understand and be reconciled, praying to approach the situation for that purpose, so that is the fruit of their labor. As John 13, 35, Jesus says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. 
And if you say you love Jesus and you love his brethren, but you come in and out of a situation like that, whichever party you are, and you're not approaching it with prayer and humility and a concern for a witness of unity before the world. Well, I don't think it's likely anybody would visiting my church in that context. I drove away feeling good. And that's what I want to emphasize to motivate you. I just went away feeling good. I mean, I wasn't happy about the money. I wasn't happy about the other car. I wasn't happy about so many things. But I walked away completely exhausted at the end of the week, still needing to prepare these messages for you, and completely wiped out, feeling so good. And again, I saw that these people, I kept envisioning their smiles and their flustered faces from it all, feeling the restored relations, having handled it right. Probably both of us glad we didn't handle it like we have handled such things in failure at other circumstances at other times. But we're trying to grow in grace. It took dropping normal activity. It took routines that needed to be put aside. It took putting away busyness as excuses to come with enough time to talk about it and actually seek reconciliation rather than make a statement. It took prayer. It took seeking counsel and deliberately communicating in a way to understand and make amends with that as the obvious goal and priority. Blessed are the peacemakers indeed. I want to testify to you of this exchange of peace, this reconciliation that could have been very poorly done, at least by myself, and left with a lack of peace. Because you don't leave with peace, right? Oh, you want to keep complaining about it to everybody that will listen to you and you distract your prayer, messes up your day, right? You don't leave with peace. And I want to motivate you to obey Christ and be reconciled with your brethren. First, because he commands you to. But second, because reconciliation feels really good. That's what I took away from all of it. I mean, all the hard things I'm describing to get. But the product was lovely. I was kind of thankful for the experience. And I could tell... We just gave a testimony. We just experienced Christ together. And these people got a taste of Christ from it. And I walked, I drove away feeling so relieved and happy. And I could tell, he, he must have shook my hand three, four times. He had this huge smile on his face that wouldn't go away. He was just thankful because though we're not very close, we see each other regularly every couple of, every year. <laughs> And we wanted to maintain what we had and not lose that. And praise the Lord. The message for you this morning to motivate you to obey Christ, to be reconciled with your brethren, even when you got to go out of your way to do it, drop normal things, especially even if it's worship or your prayer time or your devotions. And the sacrifice and the dying to yourself that needs to happen. As much as you can make peace, do so. Reconcile. Be motivated. You're going to feel great. They're going to feel great. Christ will be exalted. And again, you're going to feel great. 
you have to hold that before you as the carrot because we don't want to do it because we don't feel good about it. But you don't feel good about it in the disruption. Make an exchange of mercy and grace and come back together and make your exchange of gifts unto the Lord, thankful for what he's done for you, and feel what you've been missing out on, perhaps for months, perhaps for years, perhaps for decades. Reconciliation feels really good. And that is the message for you this morning. Be ye reconciled with one another. Be reconciled to thy brother in Christ. For in Christ, being reconciled feels really good. You keep that in mind as we take of the Lord's Supper together now. The reconciliation we have in Christ the reconciliation we have with one another and that we should be building on together in Christ. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the command to reconcile because it is good. It is a good witness to you and it will feel really good. I pray you bless this church as we would pray for the the right preaching of the word and proper doctrine that we know that that includes doctrine that relates to practice, that we ought to be loving one another. And that often looks like going out of our way to reconcile with one another because reconciled in Christ, we have the ministry of reconciliation. Lord, let us be about bringing those good feelings to others and to ourselves, even when we need to go to someone about how they've sinned against us, but especially in our context, when we know we need to approach someone about how we have sinned against them and it is left unreconciled. Lord, bless our efforts as we reach out with hat in hand and our hands stretched out for mercy. Bless us to be those like you who are ready to forgive. And let us give a witness to the world that they would know we are Christians by our love. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all your people.